we're going to kick off episode 630 of the podcast devoted to the classic and sometimes not so classic genre cinema of yesteryear with the song Attack of the Surf Bat. It is from the EP of the same name from the band Los Vampiros Del Mar. They're a surf band based out of Daytona Beach, Florida. You can find their EP on their Bandcamp site at losvampirosdelmar.bandcamp.com. Check it out. Let them know that Monster Kid Radio sent you when you're done listening to this week's episode of the podcast. I'm your writer, host, producer, Derek M. Cook. Welcome to the show. I'm happy to have you here, and I'm really excited because I get to go back in time to something that I missed. I was unable to go to Monster Bash this past summer. I've been missing Monster Bash. It's killing me that I don't get to go back. Just I, I'm not able to do so right now. But you know what? Next best thing, I got friends that are going to Monster Bash, like Mike Ramsey, who is recording so much content for me and for you at that convention. And this week, we're going to be playing the Q&A that was conducted by Bela Lagosi's granddaughter here on the show. This is going to be a fun, fun conversation with Lynn Lagosi Sparks. It was conducted by Monster Bash's own Bob Pellegrino. You're going to hear that in this episode of the podcast. Of course, it would not be an episode of Monster Kid Radio without Mark Matsky's Beta Capsule Review. We are in the deepest part of the return of Ultraman Pool. I'm excited to share that with you. And we've got Kenny's look at Famous Monsters, a film land coming up as well. I mentioned this last week. I'm going to go ahead and mention it again this week. As well, I am looking for some help. I'm looking for some assistance. If you've got some free time and feel like navigating the Internet Movie Database over at imdb.com, you might find that Monster Kid Radio is listed there. You can actually list podcasts on the Internet Movie Database now. And I'm trying to get every single episode of Monster Kid Radio listed on the IMDB. But there are over 600 episodes of Monster Kid Radio, and I have yet to find a way to do it with one or two keystrokes, you have to enter each episode individually. And that's where you come in, if you can give us a hand, by submitting episodes of Monster Kid Radio to be included on the Internet Movie Database. Please look at some of the other episodes that have already been listed and follow that format when you're making a submission to the IMDB. But if you could help us out with that, that would be greatly appreciated. You have no idea how much it would mean to me if you can help us get every episode of MKR listed on the Internet Movie Database. It helps me out. It helps Monster Kid Radio out. And you know, it'll help future listeners of the podcast as well because it might help them actually find the show. So if you can do that, that'd be awesome. In the meantime, just sit back, enjoy the rest of this episode of Monster Kid Radio when we get to that Q&A with Bela Lugosi's granddaughter. How cool is that? But first, we got Kenny and Mark. They are ready to go right now. cult of all, Bela Lugosi as Murder Legendre, I see death. master of the undead damned, 
the sinister power behind the white zombie. Zombies? Yes, they are my servants. This soul killer takes men from their graves to be his slaves. His instruments of terror, and now this fiend plots to possess a woman. Only a pin boy, a silver mark, in a glass of wine, no. or perhaps a flower. Keep it, monsieur. Keep it. You may change your mind. Not dead. Are you mad? I saw her die. The doctor signed a certificate. I saw them bury her. Captive in the borderland between life and death. Her brain drained of the life spark. The white zombie obeys the unholy commands of her demon master. As mindless creatures carry out his cursed will, terror explodes in horror and heartquake. Zombie! Halabi! Never eyes so evil, never powers so potent, never magic so black, Bela Dracula Lugosi, as the master of the white zombie. Dracula. A moment ago, I stumbled upon a most amazing phenomenon. Something so incredible, I mistrust my own judgment. Look. Dracula. The very mention of the name brings to mind things so evil, so fantastic, so degrading. You wonder if it isn't all a dream, a nightmare. Rats. 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 Thousands. Millions of them. But no, this is no dream. This is Dracula. The original terrifying story of a maniac and a man who lived after death, lived on human blood, took the form of a vampire bat, and lured innocent girls to a fate truly worse than death. Dracula? Oh, what, what's he done to you, dearie? Tell me. He came to me. He opened a thing in his arms, and he made me drink.
Live from the Land of Light in Nebula M78, home of the mighty Ultra Heroes, it's Monster Kid Radio's Beta Capsule Review. Return of Ultraman, Episode 23. Spit out the stars, Dark Monster. Original air date, September 10th, 1971. A full solar eclipse has Monster Attack Team in a relaxed, even playful state of mind until a mysterious woman approaches Oka and Go. The ghostly figure gives them flowers and predicts that a terrible thing is about to happen, heralded by the North Star and the disappearance of the Big Dipper. Along with the Sakatas, Go observes what appears to be a meteorite hitting the ground, but it's really crab-like monster Zanika. Meanwhile, Oka tracks down the prophetic woman who suggests that the stars of constellation Cancer are now being swallowed, before experiencing a violent seizure. Captain Ibuki hypothesizes that Zanika fled to Earth to escape another, more powerful enemy. As the stars of the Cancer constellation are consumed, the crab creature writhes in pain, while monster attack team gets dire news indeed. A dark, nebula-like shape is approaching planet Earth, absorbing all celestial objects in its path. The main scientist at the Astronomy Center chillingly declares that it is the planet's last day, resolving to keep this knowledge secret from the public, since he believes there's nothing that can be done to stop the destruction. That doesn't prevent MAT from engaging with the rampaging crab, triggering Go's transformation into Ultraman, and a battle in space with the ultimate foe, Vacuumon. Spit Out the Star's Dark Monster touches all the bases, incorporating multiple monsters, a stellar cast, impressive effects work, and inexplicable supernatural themes into one entertaining story. It's nice to see Oka have something substantial to do in this episode, and we also see Captain Ibuki's character developing as he has rapidly learned to trust Hideki Go. The highlight of this episode for fans of Japanese sci-fi and fantasy film is the surprise appearance of Hideo Amamoto as the chief astronomer convinced of the world's imminent destruction. Amamoto, sometimes referred to as Eisei Amamoto, became a mainstay of Toho's stable of actors in the 1960s, with supporting roles in The Secret of the Telegion, Gorath, Matango, Atragon, Dogora, Ghidra the Three-Headed Monster, and Godzilla vs. the Sea Monster, before playing lead villain Doctor Who in 1967's King Kong Escapes, and Ichiro's friendly neighbor in All Monsters Attack two years later. His final role in a Godzilla film would come 32 years hence, playing a part written specifically for him in Godzilla, Mothra, King Ghidra, giant monsters all-out attack. For Monster Kid Radio's Beta Capsule Review, this is Mark Matsky reporting.
Okay, bunga bunga. Since when do you talk a native language? I just started today. Well, what do you say? What do you say? I don't even know what I said. Sammy Petrillo turn an island paradise into the zaniest madhouse in the seven seas. Charlita puts a gleam in Duke Mitchell's eyes. Your smile only added life to your masquerade. Muriel Landers puts the whammy on Sammy. Sammy! Run for your life! Go on, get out of here, run for your life. Ramona, the romantic chimp, takes off on a romantic chase of her own. Strange. But interesting. Really think so? Mm. What a charming compliment. Bella Lugosi finds the perfect subject to turn a gorilla into a goop and versa visa. <laughs> Look, look, what, are you, what are you trying to tell me? I, I don't understand a word. What, 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 what am I, dumb or something? Don't, don't answer that. Hello, Duke Mitchell. I'm running this game, you understand? And I'll talk back. Yeah, now put it on, because we got to get out that door. Let no one leave. No yet your peril. We will not stop until we have discovered the vampires who seek the life of this beautiful girl and her lover. Watch out! They may be hovering over you. Or you. Or you! Dangerous dogs through the night. No one is safe. Their fury would follow us to the ends of the earth. No, we must destroy them all together. <coughs> Scourge of mankind. They shall be found. I hereby summon to this place next week every person within the sound of my voice. You shall be judges of this eerie conspiracy. Here we shall meet Lionel Barrymore, Elizabeth Allen, Bela Lugosi, Jean Herschel, Lionel Atwood. Of the vampire. Hello there, Monster Kid Radioheads. This is Kenny with a look at Famous Monsters of Filmland. Today we are hearing a Monster Bash panel with Lynn Lagosi, Bella's granddaughter. For this week's segment, I found this look at Bella's private life in FM 35 
from October of 1965, which featured Lugosi's 1950s tour of England. Let's hear what the article had to say about Bella, the man. Bella and Lillian Lugosi each carried a token of the vampire prince to whose greatness their fame and fortune can be attributed. Bella wore the heavy silver Dracula ring, a replica of the ring worn by the actual Count Dracula, and his wife wore a silver bat on her beret. To Bella may also be given the honor of having told the very first elephant joke. During conversation with reporters and fans, while Lillian kept up a bright and witty conversational stream, the raven-haired Mrs. Lugosi firmly announced, Bella could not tell a story to save his soul. He always forgets them halfway through. There's just one he can remember, and that takes half an hour to tell. Shall I tell them the one about the elephant, he asked. No, she shouted. That's the one I'm talking about. Alas, we shall never be able to hear it. Here the two we have seen several faces of Bella Lugosi. Bella the vampire, Bella the jester, Bella the actor. But we have yet to see the final face, that of Bella the man. We shall see this through the eyes of Lillian Lugosi. He tells me he loves me every single day. I think that's very nice, don't you? Men get so neglectful. I know when he's angry with me, the day he doesn't tell me he loves me. Bella's good about the house, too. Only one fault. He leaves his stamp collection all over the place. Bella interjected. I love stamp collecting. I love soccer. I love dogs. I used to have seven little dogs. Then little Bella Jr. came along, and Lil said we must have room in the backyard to hang up the diapers. So now, I only have six dogs. What does he read in his spare time? Political science, which I am very interested I never read novels, but I like to keep up with things in the newspapers and magazines, especially the diplomatic news. Everybody double-crossing everybody else. I love women's fashions, he added. Yes, said Lillian. He goes with me to buy all my clothes. Only yesterday I bought some gloves in a handbag, and because he didn't like them, he marched me back to the shop to change them. An interviewer queried Lillian. Does he ever get up in the middle of the night and wander around in the dark? Oh, yes. He's always getting up in the middle of the night. I leave a glass of milk and a pear for him in the icebox. He gets so hungry around about 2 o'clock in the morning. Midnight snack, you know. In 1951, Bella Jr. was 13 when the interviewer asked, Did you ever scare your son? How could I? interjected Dracula, Prince of Vampire, Lord of the Undead, Master of the Nosferatu, famed vampire of ages past. He sees me in my underwear, and how can a man have any dignity in his underwear? That is all for this week's look at Famous Monsters of Filmland. We will have more next time. For MKR, this is Kenny saying adios. It is an historic occasion whenever Boris Karloff and Bela Lugosi confront each other. Their very presence weaves a spell of mystery and horror. Ready for the test, Dracula? I'm ready, Frankenstein. Let us begin. (laughs) 
You understand, Baylor, don't you? That the one who wins this little game of chess is to lead the parade at the film star's frolic. Okay, boys. You'll move. Right. I gotta tell you, it's amazing how things come full circle, because back in 97, we did our very first Monster Bash, one of our, our special guests was Bela Dozier Jr. And I sat on a stage similar to this, talking to your dad. In fact, I talked to him, oh, a few times over the years, and it was a pleasure. And we are very, very happy, as Ron said, to have Lynn with us now. It's so great to have you here. Thank you for coming. Thank you so much. You've been going to some of these shows like Monster Bash and meeting the fans, and um, you know I think what you're probably discovering is the passion, uh, especially among fans of Bela Lugosi, how much passion they have and interest they have in your grandfather's career, and uh, which is which is really really interesting. It would be interesting to see how Bela, uh, your grandfather, would respond to all this because. He passed away before Shock Theater hit uh, television that kind of reinvigorated the classic uh, Universal Monsters. What do you find with the, with the fans when, when, when the fans come up to your table? What are, the, what are they asking you? Uh, what kind of things are you finding out? Well, my perspective mostly comes from because it's heartbreaking to hear my dad say that his dad told him that he had been forgotten, yeah. that he thought he had been forgotten at the end of his life. And so I, I think that that was one of the reasons that my dad and my grandmother decided to have him buried in his cape, um, just as a tribute to the many, many years that he played the role of Dracula and the icon that they felt he already was, but he felt he had been forgotten. Yeah. But so, so knowing that, and then be having the opportunity to come and meet with people and go to conventions and feel that love and the impact that my grandfather had on people's lives. Yeah. And, the, and the young fans that are just discovering him now, it, it's amazing, I don't, I don't think he could have ever imagined it. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Which. You know, I think he would be absolutely amazed by just, you know, the following he has. And I've met all kinds of fans over the years. You know, some fans are really into Carlo, and some fans are into Cheney Jr. and Cheney Sr. But Bela Lugosi fans, oh, <laughs> they are, they are diehard fans. They are certainly diehard fans, absolutely. Now, we're seeing a lot more, and, and I'm, I'm, it's, Great to see it. A lot more uh, of uh, Lugosi product coming out. Can you tell us a little bit about that in terms of you know getting your grand uh, your grandfather's image out there in various products? Well, of course, my dad uh, was able to secure the rights to his father's name and likeness through legislation uh, mm -hmm. to to protect the rights, and he did embark on um, some licensing early on and worked with Universal, but I don't know, a lot of people don't know that Universal doesn't own any rights to Bela Lugosi's name and likeness other than for the promotion of the film. So nothing for the commercial use. So uh, over the years they have marketed uh, Dracula, a generic Dracula, and we just kept hearing from fans that that wasn't satisfactory. And 
felt that as much of extending his legacy of doing appearances and just generally protecting the rights was to have a strong licensing program so that there was the officially licensed products with the actual name and likeness on them available to fans. And that, that has really helped. We've been able to reach a lot more people that way. And a lot of our licensees are our friends because we find that the people who want to do Bela Lugosi products are fans. They have so much passion, so the products always come out the nicest. Well, absolutely. I mean, the, it's, I have one of my own collection, the NECA uh, Bela Lugosi figure that just recently came out. I mean, that is dead on. It's such a, a wonderful figure. You know, I mean, for any collector, uh, you can get that at your table, right? Yeah, you can. Yeah. <laughs> well, see, it was really nice working with the creative team at NECA, and that was a, a license that, uh, Universal licensed that product at, as well as Lugosi. Mm -hmm. uh, but the, the creative team for NECA, they, they wanted that likeness to be so good. They wanted everything to be perfect, oh, and they worked so hard, and uh, our, our friend, and many of you know, Carrie uh, Gamble, mm -hmm. Uh, he really helped uh, with the 3D likeness mm -hmm. so that that figure came out to be It's a stunning figure. It really is. Okay, I'm going to open it up for questions. Uh, if you have questions out there, uh, we're going to start with this gentleman right here. Uh, statement and a question. Statement is, I'm a huge fan of your grandfathers, uh, but after uh, meeting you and uh, uh, Bob here at this Monster Bash, I'm a big fan of uh, y'all's also. Oh, thank, well, thank you so much. Thank you very much. Yeah. Thanks for having us and the opportunity to be. Uh, thank you. with me. This is not in my normal day-to-day -day activity to sit in front of people and talk. I, I, I actually prefer everybody coming to the table and chatting and I, I have had such a nice time speaking with everybody. Thank you for talking with me. I usually sit in, in, in my uh, home office and by myself doing this and I don't really get to talk to a lot of fans. You don't, you don't sit in front of a crowd on a regular basis. Okay. And, and uh, my question is uh, anything you can tell us about the uh, new Universal Park in Florida where they're building a monster land right. uh, based on the, the classic Universal monsters. You, got right. I, you know, I, there's no like big secrets I can reveal. It's, it's, I've just heard recently that they're doing it, that it's happening, that the, the, they are doing the classic monsters, but um, a new interpretation or a modern interpretation. They do. I know. Uh, I think they feel they can appeal to maybe a wider, younger audience that way. But they did let me know that they wanted to pay tribute to Bela Lugosi um, as Dracula, and so we're you know in talks about how they can do that. Oh, well, they can include him on the ride. That would be nice. I'm not sure that's in the plan, but that yeah. would be nice. Well, hopefully, hopefully Universal will do it right. You know, because. Um, yeah, it's just a shame because they really haven't done very much in terms of marketing the classic monsters over the years. And I mean, you know, you got to, you know, you, they're losing generations that um, would otherwise be, I think, fascinated as we are fascinated by these films. So, you know, well, especially with all the remakes, right? You would, you know, we all always go back to the originals, but that's really when they go back yep. to the originals. To market their new, the new releases, so in some ways, you know that that does help, and the, the remakes do help, you know, yeah, okay. generate interest in the originals. But yeah, they, they could do so much more. 
Exactly, exactly. Just in terms of keeping those those icons alive, so that you know future generations don't forget. And I mean, it's a it's an incredible tribute to your grandfather that he created such an iconic character. I mean, at least for me, when you know I hear about Dracula, and there's, there's been all kinds of actors who have played Dracula. I always think Bela Lugosi. Always. I just you know. And how many times has somebody? Does it, you know, is imitating Dracula, they do the Hungarian accent, you know? Of course, right? Sure. Exactly, exactly. Okay, pick questions. We got questions out there. Okay, in the back. Is that going to be both Florida and California, or just one or the other? I think it's going to be just California. Yeah. I have heard. Oh, my. Florida. I'm sorry. Florida. Florida. And I have heard some discussion and nothing official that there might be some kind of an event in Las Vegas. Oh really? Okay. But I don't know. It's a universal, uh, like a some kind of a permanent event. Yeah. I'm not sure what it will include. No. Okay. All the way in the back of the green. What did you do with your dad do to Martin Landau as Baywatch in Wood? Yeah, that, I, we get that question a lot, and yeah. I think I will. You know, not answer that okay. because, no, only because I, I didn't get to meet my grandfather. So the direct comparison to Martin Lando's portrayal to him, I can't speak from personal experience, but my dad has, has told me that he really appreciated um, Martin Lando's, you know, interpretation. It was just the, the, the script that he was given. Yeah. wasn't a true portrayal of, of him. I do remember talking to your dad, and one thing your dad was very explicit about was that, you know, in terms of his father, his father never used that kind of language. He, he never used, you know, that kind of obscenity, you know, it just was not him. That was what your father said. Um, okay, questions, so gentlemen right here. Uh, do you have any, <coughs> sorry, any family history or stories about Bill Lugosi's acting career in Europe before he came to America? Well, thank you for asking that. Uh, we're right now about to release, in fact, when I go home this week, sending the, I'm curating the photos for a re-release re of um, Lugosi, the Man Behind the Cape. This book will be entitled Bail Lugosi, the Man Behind the Cape. It's really a new book. It was originally published uh, in the late 1970s by with Robert Kramer as the author, and he's also the author of this book. But in, in doing that, we've been able to expand the information from that original book to include a lot of detail about the, his early career. So with photos, documents, he, he had over 200 stage credits in Budapest alone. Yep. And so was an accomplished stage actor before even coming to the United States. Oh yeah, yeah, massive career. At, at 23 films between Hungary and Germany. Wow. Yep. yep. Before he came to this country, exactly. Yeah. There, there's only one that we know surviving clip from a Hungarian film. They were, had all been destroyed. So they, the National Film Institute of Budapest, it, it is on. I think it's on YouTube. There is the clip. The film is titled Struggle for Life. Excellent. Okay, young woman in the back right there. So, um, I was wondering if you could perhaps elaborate more details on how your family obtained the license. I know that there was like a long court struggle, but I wasn't sure like, you know, I wasn't sure like how your father was able to, I want to know more about how your father obtained the license. 
Okay, I'll do my best to summarize, and I I, I might get dates and years okay, a little cool. bit off. He, he I believe it was 1962, and he was still a law student at USC, University of Southern California, and it was brought to his attention that um, Universal was making products with his dad's name and likeness as Dracula. And one of his professors said, his law professor said, no, that they can't do that. And so he brought the case Lugosi versus Universal. And it was actually in the courts for almost 16 years. It, they won in the lower courts, um, but it was overturned in the, the higher courts of California. And the lower courts decided and agreed that Bela's owned his interpretation as Dracula. It, he had, created it on the stage and brought it to the film. And it was not, he didn't have heavy makeup, it was just him. And so they, the upper courts, even though they lost, it, uh, my dad lost, they, they didn't disagree with the lower courts ruling. They agreed that Bela Lugosi owned that right to his interpretation of Dracula. The problem was that there was no precedent in law for a deceased celebrity's name and likeness to be, be a property right that you could pass to your heirs. And so after the, that ruling, my dad and other people petitioned the California State Legislature, and eventually in 1981, the California Celebrity Rights Act was passed, and that made your uh, deceased actor's name and likeness a property right. It could pass to your heirs or to a trust or someone you designate. And really now it's it's it, it's coming back into play, and that that is a landmark case because with AI, with all this, you know, you know, being able to recreate. So there are celebrities now writing into their their wills and their trusts whether or not they want to be recreated or if they they can or that those interpretations are included in, right. in the rights. And did you, uh, uh, and if I think this is correct that your father, your father. Uh, also did work, you know, uh, protecting the rights of the heirs of the Three Stooges. He did. He represented some, uh, one of the families of the Three Stooges. Mm -hmm. yeah. 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 And that was a, actually a, after um, starting licensing Bela Lugosi, that was a big uh, case in that it determined, uh, it was the Three Stooges case where an artist had done like a caricature of mm -hmm. the Three Stooges and um, Three Stooges families felt that that was, you know, right. yeah. a, an illegal use of their, the likeness. And so it, what that case did is it established a scale of how close something can be in a piece of art or a character before it becomes a use that requires a license. Right. Yeah. yeah. Oh, excellent. So you know. Freedom of freedom of speech. Right. Right. Yeah. And, you know, basically the you know, prevent companies from just, you know, you know, inserting uh, these kind of, you know, Three Stooges or your father's image or whose ever image into a product and, you know, doing, selling God knows what, you know, so. Okay, questions on the aisle, right here. Hi, um, getting, uh, getting back to uh, the biography that you're uh, working on, um, over the years, um, uh, has there ever been ever talks or discussions of, uh, of uh, a biopic of your grandfather's life? Good question. Well, um, fortunately, we've retained the film rights to the biography, which is basically a screenplay, the way it's written. And so I'm very hopeful that I've had a lot of interest, especially lately, in doing something. So I, 
I can't promise anything, but I really, really hope that there, there's a project. Fingers crossed. Yeah, fingers crossed. <laughs> oh boy, yeah, right? Yeah. Okay, questions? Okay, gentlemen, right over here. Hi, Lynn. Um, this, is, this is not a question, but it's just kind of a brief reminiscence of my wife and I. I thought she was sleeping. <laughs> <laughs> um, about 30 years back, the, the FM convention in yeah. Arlington, Virginia. Yes. That was the first big convention our children and my wife and I went to. Right. And it was all larger than life, seeing all these people in person and meeting them. Uh, and your dad was one of them. Right. But I remember one morning uh, at the hotel restaurant, we're sitting there having breakfast, our little family here, my son and daughter, wife. And uh, right way across was Sarah Karloff and your dad having their breakfast. Uh -huh. And uh, of course, we're sitting there and trying to be inconspicuous. <laughs> and they are, you know. And uh, they noticed us. <laughs> and Sarah and him both nodded and waved and stuff. And we thought, wow, that's great, you know. Well, they get done with their breakfast and they come up over our table. And your dad and Sarah both required. Would our children like to have their pictures taken with them so they can have a picture for show and tell for their friends at school and stuff? Wow. Why? What are we going to say? No. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, here's the silly part. They, yeah, we've got a couple nice pictures. Uh -huh. We love it with our kids. The silly part was, and this I still think of this to this day, we get up from our table after your dad had left, and we're going around and we walk past their table, which hadn't been cleaned yet. And your dad's partially eating pancake is still there. And I'm thinking to myself, well, I wish nobody was looking, I'd seal this thing up. So I'd like, oh, that's all. Reminds me of a story. I think the first time that your dad came to Monster Dash, uh, I was taking him, uh, I picked him up from the airport, I was taking him back to the airport. And uh, I was with another guy, and we were both, actually, at the time I was living in Connecticut, I hadn't moved to Pennsylvania yet, the other guy was in Florida, and we're driving along, and dad's like, oh, we got time, let's, let's stop and let's go, go through Pittsburgh. And neither one of us knew Pittsburgh, and it was like, oh, uh, no, <laughs> no, we're not going to get off, and he was a little disappointed with that, it was like, you know, if anybody who's ever been in Pittsburgh, if you don't know Pittsburgh, if you take a wrong turn, God help you. <laughs> I really enjoyed White Zombie. 
and I, I just the atmosphere of it and yeah. I guess also I, I first watched it knowing that my dad had told me that his dad really enjoyed directing some of the scenes and so I looked at it from from that perspective too and then Black Cat and then recently rewatching The Raven that that mm -hmm. film really oh yeah I mean, really really impressed me his acting and, and the, evilness and creepiness. <laughs> yeah. I remember your dad saying, you know, of course, Dracula, and he made that iconic, mm -hmm. but um, another role that, that Bela, uh, your grandfather, enjoyed so much was Igor. Oh, he, yes. really, he, he, really played, he really enjoyed playing Igor, and you can tell, and at least in my opinion, I think, you know, his originally his part in Son of Frankenstein was, was minuscule. It was, it was not going to end the director, uh, kept him on, kept giving him more to do in the movie, um, and he really, he runs away with the movie. He's probably the most interesting character in the whole movie, yeah. you know, Igor steals the movie, God, right. in my opinion at least, but, right. uh, yeah. you know, and then like your dad said, he really enjoyed playing Igor. It was such a, 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 a contrast to the refined Dracula, you know, it just showed the, the actor's range, you know, he had, he had wonderful range. Yeah, I always have to say, I, I should, should have said, aside from Dracula, on the favorite films, you just, you, that one has to stay. Oh, yeah. One, yeah. Yeah, Igor was, he was phenomenal. Yeah. Uh, questions on the aisle, right here. Uh, actually, you just said something I did not know. Uh, maybe you can explain a bit more about it, that Bela Lugosi helped direct White Zombie? Uh, that is what I did not know. my dad has told me that his dad told him that I think I mean, that movie ends quite abruptly, you know, it looks like there should have been more. Uh, I, whatever the production difficulties were, Bailiff said he directed some of the scenes and he really enjoyed doing that. Yeah. It, it, when he came to the United States, he directed and produced and acted in Hungarian plays, so he was proficient at doing that and enjoyed doing it. Yeah, how about that? Right over here. Since your dad is into food, did he prepare Hungarian dishes when you were growing up? Also, did he drink, um, Bela's favorite wine was called Bull's Blood. I, I don't remember that Hungarian That's my Oh, so, well, for me, growing up, my, you know, I spent a lot of time with my grandmother and she was at our house all the time and she was the cook, really her and her sister, and they would cook for my grandfather, Bela. So yes, I, I did grow up with stuffed cabbage and duck and rice. I don't know if that's truly a Hungarian thing, but that's one of the things she made. I'm not a meat eater, so even back then, it was not something that was my thing, but my dad loves it. And the bull's blood? Yeah, my grandfather truly did drink that. I mean, your father. I mean, oh, my father? father? Oh, yeah, we, we had it, but he enjoyed other wines as well. <laughs> yeah, my grandfather and grandmother, it's funny because Dracula never drinks wine. That's all he said. Yes, that's all he said. One of the, the ways they passed time and they enjoyed to spend time together was wine tasting, and they would buy little, different bottles of wine, and they would line it up and do blind tastes and that. So that was something they did together. So. Okay. Yeah. Excellent. Okay, questions. Uh, young person right over here. Uh, so I want to make a picture that's like every 
of Frankenstein after ever. And I heard that Bubba goes from Frankenstein and Frankenstein versus the Wolfman. That's, That's true. right. That is absolutely true. I want to know. And you know what's interesting about that, and I'm sure um, some of the people in the audience know, but for you, you might not know that he played Igor in two films, but in the second film, Ghost of Frankenstein, Igor's brain gets put yeah. into the monster. Mm -hmm. And so he was looking forward to playing the monster with some speaking roles. Right. And those roles, those lines, uh, unfortunately, got, got cut, cut, cut yeah. out. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I also heard that uh, that they, the Frankenstein, they originally wanted Bubba Ghost to play. Yeah, he was, uh, he was offered the role, right? Uh, Bella was offered the role for Frankenstein. He really wasn't interested because he just he thought it was like a glorified scarecrow. Yeah, and I think it, the, the greater disappointment was that he was offered and sent a script for him as the role of Dr. Frankenstein. Mm -hmm. And so he was really looking forward to playing that role and felt that he could create even a, a more important character. Or a, you know, he could do such a great job with right. the character of Dr. Frankenstein. And so when the Universal uh, changed from Robert Flory to, to, to Whale, to whale they just, you know, redid this, recast him as the monster. Mm -hmm. uh, there is the, an advertisement, I'm sure a lot of you have seen, of the, from the press book or early uh, advertising for Frankenstein featuring Bill Lugosi. Right, right. He, he never, uh, after the test makeup, he just, and having no lines, he just didn't feel it was a part for him. Exactly, exactly. You know, in hindsight, big mistake, and I think my grandmother felt that too, but, yeah. you know, yeah. he stuck. You know, one thing he did is he really stuck to what he believed in for, for good or bad for his career, he, he, he did. That's right. Okay. Right here. Go ahead. Um, yes, your, your grandfather was one of the first celebrities, if not the first, to talk openly about his struggles with substance addiction. Uh -huh. And I'm wondering if you have any stories about, um, you know, how that changed because he talked about it. Was it easier for other people after that to come forward? Did you hear any like, stories about people who were affected by that in some way? No, I think, you know, from notes that people wrote him during the time, he was, you know, he felt a lot of support from that, you know, the community acting community and people in Hollywood. But I don't, you know, I don't have any experience at that time, but I can tell you that people all the time come up to me and to you know, my dad and tell us how brave they thought he was and that at different times in their lives when they were having hard times that you know it, he was an inspiration for really you know trying very hard to to kick the habit and, and a lot of that was i mean um as from what i understand your grandfather had terrible sciatica mm -hmm. and i mean you know back then there wasn't much treatment uh, for sciatica and, you know, they used morphine and, you know, I mean, very incredibly addictive. So, you know, that is very, very tragic, you know, that happened. But once again, it was, you know, if anybody's ever dealt with a sciatica, I can tell you it's no fun. Uh, it's a horrible thing to go through. So. And I don't know if a lot of you know that he was actually wounded three times when he was fighting in the Hungarian, uh -huh. the Hungarian army on the Russian front. So. Yeah. He went through some, some stuff. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay, questions? Uh, how about right here? 
Have you been to Hungary? Have you been I back have to and I'm so excited to be able to go. I'm hoping that you know with the book coming out I, that we get to go and, and do some publicity there and I get to see all these places that I have photographs of in the book. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Okay. Yeah. Mark and Kenny, to Monster Bash, and to Mike Ramsey for just really helping us out and hooking us up with a recording from this past summer's Monster Bash. Eventually, I'm going to go back and start getting the recordings for myself. But in the meantime, Mike, you're doing Godzilla's work here, dude. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And if you're interested in Monster Bash, head over to creepyclassics.com. I'll make sure there's a link in the show notes. You can buy merch there. You can Buy your tickets to the next Monster Bash or two. You can pick up DVDs, movies, Blu-rays, T-shirts, all sorts of cool stuff there. Ron Adams and family run Monster Bash and have been doing an amazing job over the years. So go check them out when you're done listening to this episode. And again, let them know that Monster Kid Radio sent you. You can find links to this in the show notes at monsterkidradio.net. You're also going to find links to our Facebook page, our Facebook group, our Twitter, our Discord, our Patreon and everything else that we've got going on. So please check that out and join us on our various social media sites. Make sure you share the posts and retweet tweets and just make sure you let everybody know about your favorite classic monster movie podcast. That just so happens to have another recording from this past summer's Monster Bash coming up next week on the show. Again, courtesy of Mike Ramsey, we've got Beverly Washburn coming up next week. Now, longtime listeners of Monster Kid Radio might remember that Beverly Washburn has appeared on the podcast in the past, but every Q&A is different, and she may have some new stories to tell. So come back next week and tune in for that conversation, for that Q&A with Beverly Washburn here on the podcast next week. Until then, Monster Kid Radio is a registered service mark of Monster Kid Radio, LLC. All original content of Monster Kid Radio by Monster Kid Radio, LLC is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 3.0, unported license. Of course, it doesn't apply to the song Attack, of the surf bat 
That is copyright 2023, Los Vampiros Del Mar. You can find their Bandcamp site at losvampirosdelmar.bandcamp.com and check out their EP, Attack of the Surf Bat. I'll make sure there's a link in the show notes. Make sure you check them out and let them know that you heard about them here on MKR. My name is Sarah Kim Cook. I'll talk to everybody next week. Ciao.